opportunity to preach in plants. Uh, I truly appreciate uh, the opportunities uh, to share the, the uh, pulpit with you. And uh, Alex, thanks for being my friend, man. Um, being here in this church for me and my family has been a true blessing. And honestly, I don't know where we'd be without you and Darby. So we appreciate all the love you guys give to us in this community. And uh, I'm excited for today. Um, spent a number of years in ministry as a pastor for a number of years, and now I'm a full-time teacher. Um, so I always felt like preaching and teaching kind of go like hand in hand a little bit. I was always more of a teacher than a preacher, which is why I'm no longer a preacher anymore. But Alex is doing this series called The Once and Future King, talking about the kingship of Jesus and how the Old Testament kind of gives way to the New Testament. And there's all these connections how the Bible is intertwined and all points to Jesus being king. And so the title of today's message is Something in the Way. And I love that title because one, I'm a Nirvana fan, it's a Nirvana song. Um, it was in the Batman movie, my son loves a song, but I think there's something in the way of Christianity. Something's changed. And when we look at it, when we think of that phrase, something in the way, Something is either getting in the way of people knowing the love of Jesus, or there could be something in the way that we love that can show people the love of Jesus. Because as Christianity is going right now in America, it's going down a bit. Americans' confidence in church organized religion has dramatically dropped and has continued to drop. In 1974, it was at its highest, 68%. That's a lot of people having confidence in the church, in Jesus, and what it represents. And then you can just see this like up and down kind of arc taking place. And then around 2013, it really starts to take a nosedive to where it is now below 38%. And there's no uptakes, it's just straight down. And I think it's because something is in the way. For us to live alone like Jesus, can't get mixed in with politics, can't get mixed in with agenda, it has to be love. People have to know it's by our love, not by our policies or, or, or our political parties or those kinds of things. And just to even put these stats in context, I think of Toyotas. Toyota Camry is the number one selling car in America. One in five people are atheists in the USA. And just to put that in scale, one in ten people own a Toyota in America today. I own a Toyota. Alex owns a Toyota. My dad owns a Toyota. So not believing in God is more popular than owning a Toyota. That's like, that hits me. Because, I mean, just think about it. Just drive around and you'll see Toyotas everywhere. You put that in the context of one in five people on atheists, think of people that you see when you go to the market, when you go to your job, when you go out in the community. There are people who do not believe in God. Then you think something has to change. And I think when we think of people not believing in God, you can, you can point it to, oh, well, like it's America's culture, and, and this is just like a sinful world, and all those kind of things, where I think when it comes to people not believing in God, I think Christians can either bring people closer to Jesus, or Christians can 
pull people away from Jesus. Because there's no hurt like church hurt. There's no hurt like being punched in the gut by someone who's supposed to wrap an arm around you. The Brandon Manning, author of Ragamuffin the Gospel that came out back in the 90s, says this in his book. The single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians, who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And that quote breaks my heart because we are the thing that's getting in the way of people living and loving like Jesus. When we should be the ones who reflect him, who show him more than anyone. The church should be the safest place to be in America. A Christian that you share something that is vulnerable, that is not easily shared, should be held in confidence and not gossiped about. When you tell someone who's a Christian something that you're struggling with, that should be, that should be precious. That should be guarded. You shouldn't worry about is this going to be spread to someone else in the church? We need to be doing a better job. And Jesus really talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount, in what Alice has been preaching about for the past couple weeks, and this whole series, most of thing, centered around the Sermon on the Mount, and we're talking about Matthew 5, verse 38 to 48. You have heard the law says that punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye. A two for a two, that's a common phrase that's even beyond the Bible. An eye for an eye, a two for a two. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are suing for and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles, which was not an uncommon thing in that day. Uh, Israel at the time was under oppression from the Roman Empire. And so Roman soldiers had free reign for people to carry their gear, for people to even invite them, not invite them, but just to be in their homes. Soldiers can stay at a person's house without the permission. They can eat their meals. I mean, it reminds me of like when I was like a young person and my cousin was off in college, and that went without a call, without anything. My cousin and his friends from college just come through during dinner time, eat our food. You know, it's like, what's college saying? But we want that here. And it was awesome that our house was a place where you can get a free meal, a home-cooked meal, because there's nothing like a home-cooked meal when you're in college. Like, seriously, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, when you start eating, like, out all the time, and eating fast food, no matter where you eat, it all sort of tastes the same after all. McDonald's, Taco Bell, you know, it all makes you start feeling the same way too, right? But man, there's nothing like a home-cooked meal. I can't tell you, growing up, my cousin, he was always bringing his friends over, it was awesome, we had a big lot of fun. But, in that day, it wasn't cousins and friends coming over. It could be, you could be getting ready to sit down and have a meal, and boom, soldiers could be going through your door, eating all your food, and taking up your space. Not uncommon in the day. And Jesus goes on to say this, you've heard the law says, love your neighbors. You've heard, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Which is hard to pray for an enemy, especially when you have them. You may even work with some of them. You know what I'm talking about. Or that one neighbor. You know what I'm talking about? There's always that one neighbor. 
In this way, in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. We're going to be different. We've got to love different. If you're kind to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect as your father is to be perfect. Now that's a lot. Now we're going to be breaking down this portion of scripture in a couple of sections. But that first phrase, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, there's actually a Latin law called lex talionis that is a retribution form of justice, the principle of a law of retaliation that punishment inflicted should correspond in an agree and kind to the offense of the wrongdoer. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, as this our tradition shows here, which is entitled tooth for a tooth. Now this, this mentality, eye for an eye, during that time, I mean, this was introduced in the Old Testament, there was no really form of laws, no set laws. So if I, like, happened to kill my neighbor's donkey, he could kill my son. There's nothing to, to rent at. So punishment did not always fit the crime. If I happen to, like, burn his field, he can burn my house and people in it. And they're almost like, hey, you burn my field? I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm going to come back and retaliate. So when this is introduced, for law to, for, for the punishment to fit the crime was revolutionary. Eye for an eye. If I had killed this donkey, then my donkey was going to be killed. If I happened to injure his arm, then my arm would be injured. Eye for eye. Now, this whole law got taken to the extreme and it became a form of, of revenge and retaliation. It was no longer an act of equality and justice. The Pharisees took it and were looking for opportunities to get back to people. Alright, so this law got perverted. But this law, let's tell you honest, was not just a law for the, for, the, for, for the Israelites. The Roman Empire adopted this law, let's tell you honest. The Babylonians adopted this law of let's tell you honest. So how interesting is it? The people that oppressed Israel also took this form of law as well. And, it, and, and this law is so progressive for the time. Eye for an eye. It's the same for a pauper or a prince. For a slave or a slave owner. Eye for an eye was the same, no matter who you are or what position of your status in life was. That was revolutionary for the time. It's revolutionary because in our American justice system, um, you're not always innocent to prove guilty. And the person who is innocent doesn't always have the best representation. And sometimes the people who have the most money get away with the most. Justice isn't always blind. Sometimes it's based on where you're from or what you look like instead of what you did or what you've done. Sometimes the American justice system is a lot more corrupt and adjust than this justice system thousands of years ago. An eye for an eye, no matter whose eye that would be. Revolutionary from the time. And so, to kind of continue to flesh out this, this idea of eye for an eye, 
There was, a, there was the son of King David, who was the third son, who was not going to be king because he was third in line. And one of his oldest sons, Amnon, who was supposed to be king, did a horrible, egregious thing that unraveled this family because David refused to act in a way that was lets the limits of justice and equality. And so let's take a look at this passage found in 2 Samuel 13, which is unbelievable to even talk about, preach about, and read about. We're going to read excerpts of this. You can read the whole thing in 2 Samuel 13, which is, it's a hard read. 2 Samuel 13. So, Amnon's sister, Tamar. Amnon was supposed to be there to the King David. He became obsessed with his stepdaughter, Tamar. So obsessed that he wanted to sleep with her and have sex with her. And he created his whole ruse to entrap her in his house, in his room. He pretended to be sick so that she could bring him food, and he basically entrapped her. And it goes on to say this in 2 Samuel 13. Come to bed with me, my darling sister. Which is like, ooh, just creepy to read. Okay? Just, just, oh, it's just, it, it's creepy. Come to bed with me, my darling sister. No, my brother, I am not to cry. Don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things aren't done in Israel. But he did it. He raped her, and then he hated her, which is not ironic for people who are used and abused like that. And in this moment of this extreme abuse, word got back to David. The father, the king. And this is the only verse and the only thing that David ever said about this horrible, horrible act. When King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. That's it. It's all David did. It's all David said. And his son, Absalom, became enraged. When people are in power and they have the ability to do something and they don't do it, people get enraged. When you have an opportunity to speak against something and you don't, people get enraged. When you have an opportunity to stand for those who know not to stand for and you don't, people get enraged. You can understand why people are very frustrated with Christians in America today. How much injustice, how much do we see where Christians just say, uh-huh, that, that makes me angry. The pandemic was an opportunity for Christians to really show what love is like. And we missed an opportunity on so many fronts on how we love our neighbor, on how we can show justice to those who are not showing justice. How much controversy was, was around whether to wear a mask or not, which is ridiculous. If wearing a mask allows me to, to show my love to someone, just wear a mask. It's not that hard. But it became such a thing. Or it's like, I'm not going to be doing that. Listen, if you love your neighbor, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. Wear it. It's a shine of love. It's a shine of empathy, whether you disagree or not. 
they see a king not willing to do something about it. I've worked for churches where you couldn't share your thoughts on something that you felt was wrong or unjust. You couldn't talk about racism. You couldn't talk about injustice. I got in trouble for doing those things for churches that I worked for. Unbelievable. I, had, I worked for denomination, and um, at my church, I backstabbed, I backstabbed someone who was part of the LGBT community, and I got a call from the church plan director saying you shouldn't do things like that because you'll affect people coming to your church. And I was like, well, I don't know about you, but baptism is a starting point, not a finish line. And I think anyone can be baptized in the name of Jesus, no matter who they are, what they look like. And we see this injustice take place, and you can wonder why people are frustrated, why Absalom was frustrated. And Absalom spent two years plotting to kill his stepbrother because David refused to do it, and he did it. Absalom had been plotting that on murder ever since he raped his sister tomorrow. No, my lord, your sons aren't all dead. It was only Abner. David lost his son, Amnon, and we learned later on that David also lost his brother Absalom as well because this revenge continued to boil and it caused him to try and overthrow the throne and it caused his whole family to become estranged and fall apart. This revenge destroyed this family when all David had to do was eye for eye and step in and show justice. This family fell apart because he didn't. Absalom became enraged. Where he wasn't just seeking justice, he was seeking vengeance. And that vengeance tore his family apart. And the ironic thing, this is the even the ironic thing, as you study that whole story, Absalom, Absalom became king for a time because the people started to champion Absalom because. David was a celebrity, and whether it's now or 2,000 years ago, people like celebrities. And people know what goes on in celebrities' lives, and they knew that David did nothing. And here's this, like, vengeful upstart, he's going to be this person that David wasn't going to be, and he actually turned people against David, and he actually became king part time. But then, all fell apart because of his revenge. Now, Maybe looking at this poster, your scores, man, you're thinking like, hmm, Revenge of the Jedi? I thought it was Return of the Jedi, right? Well, actually, originally, the movie was supposed to be called Revenge of the Jedi. And this is an early print of that movie poster, which is now sent on eBay for $41,000. So, um, if you got some old Star Wars merch lying around your house, Maybe go for a pretty good price on eBay. But this poster of Revenge of the Jedi, which was printed, which was supposed to be the original title, the, the writer and director, George Lucas, changed the title because he felt like revenge isn't the quality of a Jedi. And so he changed it to Return of the Jedi because revenge is not something that a Jedi does. How interesting is it? that a faith religion can understand the dangers of revenge. And yet, a real religion struggles with that idea. Well, if someone does this against 
the church said, well, we're going we're, we're to do back to them too. We're going to get our revenge. This is our time to make it right. Revenge is not part of the Christian life. Nothing good comes of revenge for Absalom or for us. For Israel 2,000 or thousands of years ago or for America now. Let's go back to that verse and take a look at it again. Let's break it down a little bit. Matthew 5. You have heard the law says, punch him, 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 But I say, resist the evil person. If someone slaps you on the cheek, right cheek, offer the other cheek also. This verse has gotten taken out of context a lot. A lot of abuse has taken place because of this verse. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer him the other cheek as well. You know, I, I, I've heard that term before in church. Oh, just look for Jesus. God's got your back. Just suck up and deal with it. Just part of life. Just part of the ministry. Just part of being a Christian. You know, if someone punches you or hurts you, you're supposed to just take it. That's not what this is about. That whole slap, someone slaps you on the right cheek, off of the other cheek, that was the terms of insults. If someone insults you, don't go tip the tab with that. Let it go. In other words, don't always have the last word. Don't always have to prove that you're right. How many people have left the church because we have to have the last word? We've got to win the argument. We've got to be right. But our pursuit of winning the argument and having the last word has caused people to lose sight of Jesus. How many times do people attack Jesus and say things about Jesus? And he didn't, he didn't answer them back. He didn't try to, try to win the argument. He just tried to win that person with love and grace. And when we look at this other verse we talked about before, but you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven to be perfect. Alright, this is also a verse that's been taken out of context because let's be honest, we all fall short of the glory and no one is perfect, and that's a really hard standard to live up to. And how many times we go to church and you feel like less than all the time because you gotta be perfect that your father that your heavenly father is perfect. What this actually means in the original translation was not perfection. It was to have a mature understanding. It was about maturity. Not perfection. You see, as a teacher, I have students who can get every question on the test right and have no idea how that applies to their lives or the story. They can get all the answers right, but they have no idea what it means. They have no idea what the story is about. And how many times as Christians do we get so focused? Getting, ticking all the boxes, supposed to put it the right way, but an application to have no understanding of how we're supposed to live and love like Jesus. It's about maturity. It's about when people see your life, do they see Jesus? Do they see love? Do they see kindness? Or do they see someone who wants to be right, who wants to win, who has to have the last word? Sometimes we need to let it go. God fill in the gaps. So let's take a look at how Jesus would handle a woman 
who was caught in the middle of a political uprising or a political controversy. The woman who was caught in adultery has so many implications and is so layered because this was a complete setup to get Jesus into trouble. At this time, the religious leaders of the day wanted to get Jesus out of power. And so they created this scenario where they caught this woman in adultery. The ironic thing is when they brought this woman to Jesus, if they were technically following the laws they should have, let's tell you honest, it shouldn't have just been the woman. There should have been the man there too. But somehow the man was mysteriously not there because this was all a ruse. This was all a setup. And they were, again, using a woman in the middle of it. Man, I, I think sometimes the church just needs to apologize how we treat women over the years. Because I think the church has done it wrong so many times. But just look at Jesus and how he treated women. And women, and it was revolutionary. So here's the scene where Jesus is trying to be caught and trying to be uh, have Jesus' influence taken away. Because if he sides with the Mosaic law, this woman was caught in adultery and she should die, alright? That would make the Israel leaders happy. But he says this woman should not die because this is a whole scheme that was set up to, 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 to take away Jesus and get him set up because at that time, as Jews were under rule of the Roman Empire, Jews couldn't kill other Jews. They couldn't enact justice. Only the Romans could. So if Jesus said she should die, he would be violating the Roman law. All right? But if he said that she should live, then, then he would be violating the Jewish law. So Jesus is in the middle. Can't please the, the, the Israel powers, can't please the Roman powers. So what does Jesus do? It's not vengeance or violence that gets him out of the situation. It's an act of non-violence. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was called an act of adultery. The law of Moses says the stoner. What do you say? I want to make sense like the religious leaders giving them that belief. Like, all right, Jesus, how smart are you? Let's see you get out of this one because if you go one way, you're going to get in trouble with the Israel leaders. If you do it another way, you're going to get in trouble with the Roman leaders. Let's see what you do. They're trying to trap him and to say something they can use against him. Man, this is something that the church should never do. We should never scheme or plot to get people in trouble. They're doing here. But Jesus stooped down. I love that. Jesus gets down on a level, starts writing in the dust with his finger. But they kept demanding an answer. So he stooped again and said, All right. Let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. And they all dropped their stones. An act of nonviolence save a woman in a very violent situation. This is how we're supposed to live in love like Jesus. And I love the line that comes after this where Jesus says, Woman, where are your accusers? I love that. Jesus is able to stand for us and protect us like no one else can. How comforting was Jesus' presence in that day where you just felt safe. Oh, God, that's the way the church should be now. And Muhammad Ali also touches on this idea of eye for an eye. The quote, an eye for an eye will leave the whole world blind. 
And this whole idea of life or not, when it's followed out, can be just continued to leave hurt and betrayal all behind. And this was the way Jesus, the way that Peter wanted to live his life as well, eye for eye. He was all for violence. That violence was going to take away his influence and his eventual ability to have a huge impact on the early church and today. And it goes on to say this in two Gospels, Luke and John. But Jesus said to Judas, would you, but Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with the kisses when they came to finally arrest Jesus? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought swords. Again, ready, looking for a fight. And one of them, Peter, struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. Alright, now, let me just say this. Peter is not an elite soldier. He wasn't trying to come off here to like show a message like, I'm gonna intimidate you and you slash off your ears. I'm like, just that awesome as a soldier. Peter missed. This was one of those. Alright? And that whole act of violence of slashing off the ear put Peter on Israel's most wanted list. Peter should have died, according to the law. Eye for an eye. He was going for the head. He should have died. But what does Jesus do? No more of this. He touched the man's ear and healed him. He removed the evidence. Because he understood that Peter's current problems do not compare to Peter's future life form. Jesus had a plan and purpose for Peter. And Jesus knew that violence was not going to be the way. Only love. The very person that was there to arrest Jesus, he healed. And not only saved that soldier's life, but Peter's life as well. Put away your sword, Jesus told them. Those who use the sword will die by the sword or whatever weapon you want to insert there. Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I some dangerous revolutionary? Do you come to me with swords and clubs to arrest me? Because they wanted him to be that. They wanted Jesus to be this revolutionary, like, brave heart leader with a sword, saying, You're going to take our lives, you're going to take our freedom, and, like, running in, right? They wanted that, but that's not what Jesus was. Why didn't you arrest me at the temple? I was teaching there every day that this all happened to fulfill the words of the prophets. Jesus knew for the church to carry on. It was going to be love, not violence. That was going to be the answer. That was going to move the church forward. That was going to be a revolutionary act. Not swords, not violence, not might is right. Love is what wins. And it's so interesting. When we take a look at Absalom's life, when we take a look at Jesus' life, and how they both died. They both died hanging on a tree. Two kings. Two completely different influences. Absalom unexpectedly came up against David's servants, and he was on the run. And he mounted on a mule, and the mule passed under the branches of a large oak tree. His hair caught fast in the tree. He hung between the heavens and the earth. How ironic that the author in the Old Testament would use that phrase. He hung between heaven and earth, just like foreshadowing Jesus. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he hung between heaven and earth. But his life saved lives. 
in our lives. I like what Galatians 3.13 says. Christ took away the curse, the law put on us. I love that. He changed places with us to put himself under that curse. We serve a God that takes our place. We serve a God that realizes that true power is humility. It is written in the scriptures, anyone whose body is displayed on the tree is cursed. I'm so grateful for a God that comes down and takes my place. When I mess up, when I fall, when I fall short, that's what makes me keep being a Christian again. I look at Jesus and how he loves. When the world gets it wrong, when the church gets it wrong, and I can get so frustrated from life, this is not what Jesus wanted. And you get hurt by Christians, it can be easy to leave the church and be like, I'm going back there, you know, I know it's hurt and pain. But when you see Jesus, when you see others who actually live in love like him, man, there's nothing more to come than that. Nothing worse than you can come. I want to share a story real quick. Um, as we close, which I hope you, I hope you can see the connection. Um, I used to form a teacher, and this year I had a student who struggled to stay awake. Um, he would be saying, well, how the sermon's gone pretty long, I can understand why. Alright, but, but no, I mean, this student would sleep in every class, not just mine. Alright, so it wasn't just me, alright? <laughs> I had to say that, alright? But I thought it was, I'm like, what is going on? Like, this student's falling asleep in my class, and it's, I, I'm running away, I'm going to go right back to sleep. And he started falling asleep in Spanish class, so I fall asleep in music class, we get tutored to fall asleep in that class. And I was talking with his mom, and we were trying to figure out, why does your son keep falling asleep? And it almost seems like he cannot control himself. And she would take it to the doctors, and they couldn't figure out what it was, and we couldn't figure out what it was, and his grades were going down, and he was struggling because he just couldn't stay awake. But then something changed. I became friends with a student that was a grade level, and they bonded through Star Wars. And as these two students became friends, as these two students um, 